If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you turn to two different places? The first one is Psalm 36, and the second passage we'll look at is Genesis 22. Again, that's Psalm 36 and Genesis 22. And we're continuing our series called The Christian Atheist. And that might sound silly, uh, but what it means is we know what atheist is. That's someone who doesn't believe in God, and so they live their life in a way in which there is no God. And that's okay. You can still live a good life and everything. I, I know some incredible atheists who are a lot nicer than some of the church folk I know. But a Christian who lives their life as though there is no God, that makes no sense to me. If you don't believe in God, then why would you live as though there is? But if you believe there is a God, then why would you live as though there isn't? In the United States of America, three out of four people claim to be a Christian. We follow the Christian God. But I think we can all say uh, with certainty that three out of four people are not living their lives as a Christian or they're following the teachings of Jesus. And so this series, what we're doing is just trying to dive in and look at what it means for us. Are we living as Christians or are we living as people who say we follow Jesus, but by the way that we live our lives, we're denying that he exists. And so last week we talked about people that believe in God, but don't know him. And what that means is you have a, a sort of a cr cultural Christianity. It's you're living your life, you believe that there's a God, maybe it's because of your parents, it's your national identity as Christian, but you live your life believing in him, but not knowing him. There's no relationship that exists between you and God, but God's called us to know him, to know him intimately and deeply, to be the center of our lives, and we can know God in a way that is beyond anything else that we can know. And so the whole idea was, if you believe in God, let's dig in, let's go after him, let's know this God that we believe in. And this week, we're going to talk about people who believe in God, but don't fear him. And the idea of fearing God is something that can get a little bit crazy. And when we hear the word fear, we think of, you know, being terrified. And part of that is because the church hasn't always done a real good job of addressing the idea of the fear of God. Uh, if you're like me, you might have grown up and you, the good preachers, remember they were the ones that yelled a lot and they would spit and they would talk about, you know, you're going to go to hell if you watch the Harry Potter, you will go to hell where the worm eats and the flame does that. And you're just like, what? And so the whole idea for me was I want to heard a good preacher and it scared the, the hell out of me or into me. I'm not sure which one it was, but I'm like, I need to follow Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. And then my life wasn't changed because I wasn't following Jesus because I had a love for him. I was following Jesus because I was afraid if I did the wrong things that I was going to go to hell. And instead of viewing God as this father who loved me, I viewed him as the eye in the sky that was looking for me. It was like the, the spiritual death drone. He always had his eye on me. And he was just waiting to strike. He was the almighty smiter. And I remember thinking, like I'm watching movies and I'm like, okay, this is Star Wars. You know, it's PG. So it's probably all good, but this is kind of like a Hindu feel to it, this whole force thing, like, oh, Jesus, don't return while I'm watching, not till after the Death Star blows up, because I really, I love this movie, but I don't want to go to hell, but you just have this idea of I have to be scared, or you're sitting there and you're listening to your friends tell a joke, and you're like, oh, man, that was kind of off. I laughed, like, am I going to hell now? Like, what's, oh, no, Jesus, don't return until I can repent of the sin of laughing at that joke. And my whole life was not lived in a, a loving relationship with God. It was, okay, God, I gotta, like, be good enough so he doesn't get mad at me. I gotta make sure that I hide my sin. Do you ever do that? Where you know there's things that you shouldn't do, but you really wanna do them, and so you do them, and you just hope that Jesus doesn't return or that he's not watching or something. And so your life never changed 
changes, you don't overcome any of the sin issues and struggles in your life because you're not allowing God to empower you and to change you. Instead, you're just trying to keep all of your sin hidden and hoping that you repent enough, you do enough penance or whatever else it is so that you can escape the judgment and the wrath of God. Now, it's kind of swung the other way uh, in this new kind of church age that we exist in of where now it's all about the love of God to the point of where it can exclude the, the fact that God does judge and that there is a wrath component to him. And so now it's oftentimes like the counterbalance to that. It was like, oh, God's just all love. He's so good. There's all these different paths to God. He just wants to make you rich. He just wants you to be healthy all the time. You know, like, like there's this idea of a God who's just our, our big brother that just wants to take care of us and make sure that we're happy. And when we start viewing God as just being all love and that there's no judgment, there's no justice aspect to him, what happens is we begin to make a customized version of Christianity. Now, if you believe in God but you don't know him, that's a cultural Christianity. But if you just know God, or if you just believe in God but you don't have any fear of God, then it creates a customized Christianity. Or you're just going to go through and you're going to pick out the parts of Jesus that you like and you're going to ignore the rest. It's like the spiritual salad bar. Uh, for me, I remember I had a job where we got to eat and there was a salad bar. So my friends and I, we'd always make a salad before our meal and we'd go there and you know, like you start off with the lettuce and then there's all of these other things and finally get to the toppings and the, the dressings. But that's not how I made my salads because I don't like all that stuff. So I'd start out with looking at the lettuce. I'm like, that's terrible. It tastes like grass. There's no real flavor to it. And so I'd just go to the cottage cheese and I would make the cottage cheese the base for my salad, if you could call it that. And then I'd put on pineapple and then black olives because I wanted something savory in there. And then I'd put on sunflower seeds, bacon bits because those are awesome, some shredded cheese, cover the top in croutons, and then drench the whole thing in ranch. <laughs> and then I'd stir it all up. And I'd eat this, and I'd eat this twice a day. And I remember my friends would always harass me about it, and they're like, that's not even a salad. If there's no lettuce in it, you cannot define this as a salad. And I'm like, hey, you have your salad, and I have my salad. And I remember one time my friend, he looks at me because they're always disgusted by this. I don't know why it disgusted them so much, but I sit down with my salad and I take a big bite and my friend looks at me from across the table and he says, Jeremy, do you have any respect for the food pyramid? <laughs> I'm like, well, clearly no, I don't because I don't care what the food pyramid says. I know what I like. And we can do that with our faith of where we come and we just look at Jesus, we look at Christianity, and we say, I'm going to create my own things. I'm going to go through the Bible, and I'm going to say, I really like that God is a God of love. I love that. So I'm going to make my God where he's a God of love, but I don't really like this wrath aspect of him, so I'm just going to ignore that. Or I love the God, that God is so merciful. Isn't he? He's so kind. He's so gracious towards us. But I don't like that there's this whole God is a judge aspect of it. So I'm going to exclude that from it. We look and say, I love the freedom that we have in Christ. I love the freedom that we have in Jesus. But I don't like the fact that he sets expectations for us on you know, our sexuality, on our greed, our materialism, all of these things. So I'm going to reject that. I don't like that God says that I can't gossip about other people. I want to be able to do the things that I want to do. I love that God blesses me. I love that he's the God who has a plan for me to lead me into good things and to bless me, to make me the head, not the tail. I love that part of it. But I don't like this part where Jesus says that to follow me, you have to take up your cross I don't like this part of where he says that you have to lose your life, that you have to die. 
And so we just go through and we're picking out all the parts of our faith that we like and we're excluding all of the things that we don't like. And we make this personalized, customized Christianity that's based on all of our preferences. And what happens is we take the God who created us in his image and we return the favor and recreate him in our image. If you have a view of God that is all judgment, or if you have a view of God that is all love, then you have an incomplete view of God. Both of these give an inaccurate and destructive view of God that will lead to ruin in you personally and will keep you from doing the things that God has called you to do. And that's why it's so important that we respect God and that we come to him as who he is. A God who is loving and a God who is just. And it's when you have the combination of these two things, then you begin to understand what it means to fear God. And a simple explanation of what the fear of God is, is it's wholeheartedly loving God plus a profound respect for God equals fearing God. It's saying, God, I love you so completely and I trust you so much that I know your plans are good for me. I know that you're going to lead me into the life that you've called me to. I know that you're going to lead me into goodness, into blessings, into prosperity. And so I'm going to follow you. I'm going to love you with all of my heart. And God, I'm also going to have a respect for you that I'm going to submit myself to you, even when I don't understand, even when I don't agree with what it is that you've called me to do, even what you've called me to do is honestly scary to me, because I love you with all my heart and because I respect you so profoundly, I'm going to submit myself, my desires, my will, my hope, and my dream, all of these things, I'm going to submit to you. And really the fear of God is a beautiful thing because of what it produces inside of our lives. It says this in Proverbs chapter 9:10, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom." Now, we live in a culture that values knowledge and we've seen some incredibly smart people that have done some incredibly terrible things because they didn't have the wisdom to manage the knowledge that they had. Have you ever been around someone that's been following Jesus for a long time and they might not have a great education, they might not have a lot of knowledge, but when you're in their presence, you are blown away by their wisdom. And you say, I want to be like that someday. The reason that they're wise is because they came to a place of where they submitted themselves to Jesus and they said, I'm going to live with a fear of God in my life. I'm going to love him wholeheartedly and I'm going to profoundly respect him. It says in Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. The fear of God in you produces life. It's like a fountain that just keeps pouring over and over and you can keep coming back to it and drinking over and over again throughout your entire life, being filled with life, being revived, life coming into you. And it says that it saves you from the snares of death. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not like snares, especially snares of death. But the fear of God will save you from these things. It brings life to you and it saves you from death. In Proverbs 22, 4, it says, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Those are all three things that I want. I want honor. I want riches. I want life inside of me. And all of these things, whether it's the wisdom, what's life, saving you from snares, honor, all of these, it all comes out of the place of having a fear of God, living in the place where you say, God, I'm going to love you wholeheartedly 
and I'm going to respect you profoundly. It's not saying, God, I'm just terrified of you because I know that you want to get me, you're out to get me, you're going to be doing all these things. That's not what the fear of God is. You might have believed that and it might have been taught to you, but that isn't the fear of God. You don't have to live being scared of your heavenly father. Now, my earthly dad, that's the best way that I can relate to it, is I have a wholehearted love and a profound respect for my dad. I don't live in terror thinking, oh my goodness, I hope my dad doesn't come around today. It's going to be terrible. He's just going to beat me. And maybe your view of God has been skewed because of a poor father example that you've had in life of where you were terrified of him. But that's not the way our Heavenly Father is. Our Heavenly Father loves us so much that he gave himself for us. And he wants to know you and he wants you to know him. He wants to be loved by you. You don't have to be terrified of God. But I also had a respect for my father because I knew that what he said was what was going to happen in our household. That if I wanted to be a part of his family, that I had to respect what his wishes were. And he didn't just give me rules that were there to make him happy or to, to rob me of fun. He gave me commands to follow that were for my benefit. Now, I don't know why it was that he didn't want me to get a BB gun when I was three years old. Like, that made no sense to me whatsoever. But my dad was like, no, you can't have that right now. You're not allowed to shoot BB guns because, as we all know from the movie, you will shoot your eye out. There were things that I didn't understand about him, but I still had to respect him and submit myself to him. And again, it's not that you live with a terror of God. You live with a wholehearted love for him and a profound respect for him. That's what love of, or that's what fearing God is. But living without a fear for God is a really bad thing. Some of you might remember Jim Baker. He was the famous televangelist uh, that was all over TV and doing all these incredible things. And he also is probably more famous now for the incredible fall that he had uh, with Im immorality and sexuality, uh, immorality in the way that he was handling finances and lying and ripping people off and all of these things. So it ended up crashing down on him and he went to jail for it. And back when there used to be Christian magazines before magazines all died, one of the uh, magazines went in and they interviewed him in the jail and they asked him, they said, when did you stop loving Jesus? And he looked perplexed and he said, what do you mean? And the interviewer said, well, when did you stop loving Jesus? You did all of these terrible things. When was it that you stopped loving Jesus? He said, I never stopped loving Jesus. I stopped fearing him. It's possible to have a wholehearted love for Jesus but not have a respect for him. Not have a healthy fear for God in your life. And that will end up leading you to ruin, just like it did to Jim. And this is what it says in Psalm 36 about what happens when we live without a fear of God in our life. It says, Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God at all. In their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. If we have no fear of God in our lives, what it's saying is that we're going to be blind to sin. That sin is going to come and it's going to speak to us. It's going to whisper into our hearts. We're going to be enticed to do things that we never should do. But we're going to be too blind to understand that we shouldn't be doing these things. And eventually, we're going to be destroyed by it. You can say, I love Jesus, I love God, he's great. But if you don't have that profound respect for him, then you don't really fear him. And you will end up doing things that will destroy your relationship with Jesus, that will destroy your relationship with other people, 
and will lead your life into ruins and you won't even see it coming because you will be blind to it. I think the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is are we those people? Have we become blind? Have we been listening to sin whisper to our hearts because we haven't had a a profound respect for God that guards us from the things that sin is going to whisper to us? Because every single one of us, we've had those moments of where you have listened to sin and it's taken you somewhere that you never wanted to go, somewhere that you didn't see coming. You had no idea how much ruin would come into your life if you listened to sin whispering to you. But because you didn't respect God, you were blind to it. You didn't see it coming. You went into it and it brought ruin and destruction to you and you saw yourself going, how on earth did this happen? How did I get to this place? I never knew that it was going to cost me so much to listen to the voice of sin speaking to me. I just thought I was loving Jesus and following after him. But when you don't have that profound respect for him, you give ear to the voice of sin in your life and it'll always take you somewhere that you didn't want to go. So what does it look like if we're going to live with a fear of God in our lives? How is it that we live in that way? How can we tell if we're living with a fear of God or if we've been blinded? One of the greatest stories about the fear of God and one of the most honestly kind of perplexing and troubling stories in the whole Bible for me is found in Genesis 22. And it's the story of Abraham sacrificing his son. Abraham, as an old man, God appeared to him. He didn't have any heir. And God appeared to him and said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. At the age of 75, God says, I'm going to give you, you know, more offspring than you can even count. And Sarah, his wife, and Abraham were like, that's crazy because we're God, I don't know if you understand biology, but we're past the point of where we can have kids. And God says, no, you're going to be amazed at what I do. So at 100 years of age, he finally has his son Isaac, which is an absolute miracle. And it's the proof that God is going to make him the father of a multitude of nations and that all the nations are going to be blessed through him. It's just the fulfillment of everything that he had ever hoped for. And in Genesis 22, verses 1, and we're going to read through the whole thing. This is a long passage, but it's really good to read it. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. And when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. 
Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place uh, Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. As you read through that story, if you're a parent and you look at that and you think, how could I ever sacrifice my son? And if I'm being completely honest, I couldn't. And thank God that he will never ask you to do that. If you ever think God's telling you to sacrifice your son, he's not, do not do that, go get help. Uh, (laughs) That's the best advice that I can give you because now since then God said that sacrificing your children, do not do that. That's one of his commands now. But he gave this to Abraham. And what we need to learn from the story is that your fear of God will be tested. Absolutely it will. This is what it says. The very beginning of the story starts out with saying God decided to test Abraham. That was God's intent behind this. That was the reason why we even have this story. And the way that he tested Abraham was in asking him to sacrifice something that was precious to him. The most precious thing, the thing that he loved more than anything else in all of life itself was his son Isaac. And so that's what God came and asked him to submit to him. And we have to understand that For us, we look at it and we think, I can never sacrifice my child because of how much I love them. But for Abraham, it was even more than that. It wasn't just the sacrifice of his child. It was the sacrifice of his provision. At this time, when you got old, there wasn't social security to take care of you. There weren't nursing homes and places like that. The only way that he would survive in his later years, which he was pretty close to already, was if he had a son to take care of him and to provide for him. So he's saying, God, not only am I sacrificing the love that I have for my son, but I'm sacrificing the provision for my future. Not only was his provision for the future, but this was the answer to the promise, the thing that God said that I'm going to give to you. Isaac was the beginning of that. He was the down payment. It was the proof that God was going to do what he said. And so now he's saying, God, I'm going to not only give you the son relationship, I'm not only going to give you the provision for my future, but I'm going to sacrifice the promise that you made me. This is everything. When he goes to sacrifice Isaac, he is sacrificing absolutely everything. His present, his future, all of his hopes and dreams are wrapped up in Isaac. And that's what God asked for. It was the one thing in his life that he probably would have said no to. Now it's easy for us to to make sacrifices where we say, God, you're so good, I love you wholeheartedly. When life is going great, you love Jesus. You see people that probably don't even believe in God, but when they win an Oscar or a Grammy or the lottery, they're like, I just want to thank Jesus for giving me the ability or whatever. You know how they do that. Everybody thanks God. Everybody loves God wholeheartedly when life is great. But what about when life isn't good? What about when you're broke down on the side of the road late for an interview that you need? What about 
when you find out that you have cancer or that someone that you love has passed away or, or there's been unfaithfulness in a marriage or a child has gone far from God. And these, these hard moments of life, how many of us want to sit up and say, I just want to thank Jesus for this great moment that I'm having. I just love him so much. No, what we start doing is saying, God, how could you let this happen to me? We start feeling like, God, where were you on this? But that's where the test is. The test is when something's hard. Now, it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, I love God, I fear him, when you don't have to submit something to him. But when God asks you, when he says, I don't want you to do this, or I do want you to do that, when it's a hard choice for you to make, that's when you're going to show if you really respect God or not. And so God is going to test you. He's going to test every single one of us to see if we really fear him or if it's just lip service that we're paying to him. And when you're tested, it's going to come in an area where it's something that's going to test the love that you have for God and it's going to test the respect that you have for God. Because those things together, that's what creates the fear of God. So for Abraham, it's giving up the hope of his entire future, everything that he loves. And for us, it's going to be something significant to us. And God won't ever tell you to sacrifice your son or to sacrifice anybody else. So uh, if, if you're not loving your spouse right now, you can't sacrifice them. That's not a part of how this works. Like, Jesus, take my, take my wife, Jesus. You can't do that. But he's going to ask you to sacrifice something significant, something that you love, an area where you're going to want to say no to God. But that's where it's going to show, do you really fear him or not? And you might not have that moment where you audibly hear the voice of God like Abraham did. And some people say, I wish I could just, like the prophets do, where they get to hear God speak to them, then it'd be so much easier for me. Well, I don't think it would be, because every time God audibly speaks, it's something that's crazy, ridiculously hard to do. Uh, because otherwise you might say, oh, there's no way God would want me to do that. But the other great thing is we get to hear God speak to us every day. That's what our Bibles are. We get to hear God speak to us every time we open up scriptures. Every time you go to God and pray and you can take a moment to listen to him and allow him to speak to you. Every time we gather together in church or we gather to worship, we have the opportunity to hear God speak to us. And he will speak to us. He speaks to us all the time if we'll just listen to hear him. And when you listen, there will be drastic things that God's going to ask you to submit to him that are going to show whether you really have a, a wholehearted love for him and a profound respect for him or not. And your fear of God will be revealed through obedience. When you hear God speak to you, you'll either choose to obey him or not. And if you obey him, it's going to show that you, in fact, do fear God. But if you decide that you're just going to listen to him and ignore him or create some customized version of Christianity, then it shows that you don't really have any fear of God in your life. And Abraham passes this test because as soon as he hears God speak to him, he goes, he loads up the donkey, he takes his son, he cuts the wood, and he goes on the trip to the mountain, and he builds the altar, he gets the wood ready, everything. he binds up his son, who he loves, the promise of his future, his provision, his everything, and he raises the knife to take the life of his own son. And it's at that moment, when the knife is raised and he's ready to strike, that God cries out to him and stops him. He stays his hand. And he says to him, do not harm him, for now I know that truly you fear God. 
It was in the place of his extreme obedience to God that it proved that he really loved God wholeheartedly and profoundly respected him. He went to the point of where he was willing to sacrifice everything to be obedient to Jesus. And in response to Abraham's obedience, God gave him great blessing. And this is the third thing, is that your fear of God will bring blessing. Every single time. God wants to bless you even more than you want to be blessed. My four-year-old son, he's always talking to me. He wants my car now, and he doesn't realize what a piece of junk that thing's going to be in 12 years. So I'm like, oh yeah, sure, you can have this. But I don't let, I want him to have a car. I want him to drive. I don't want to drive him around forever. But I don't want him to have that yet because he's not ready for it. He's not responsible enough for it. If I gave him the keys to the car now, he'd kill others and probably himself too. That blessing would absolutely destroy my son. So there's going to be a test for him. He will have to drive with me. I will have to see that he's responsible. The state will give him a test. And when he's passed these tests, then he will receive the blessing. And God's doing the same thing with Abraham. He's, he wants to bless, bless Abraham. He wants to make him the father of nations. He wants every person to be blessed through his family. But before he can bless him and trust him with countless relatives, he has to know that he can first trust him with just one. Because if Abraham can't be faithful, and if Abraham gets to the point of where he loves the blessing of one descendant more than he loves the God who gave it to him, then he won't be able to handle the fullness of the blessing that God wants to bring to his life. And that's why God called him to make the sacrifice. And when he calls him to make the sacrifice, one of the things that we don't get in English, but in Hebrew, when you're reading through that, and God says, take your son, your only son, the son whom you love. What he's doing is God is pleading with Abraham. It's almost like he's begging Abraham to do this. Why would God beg us to do something? It was because he wanted to pour out blessing on him. God is begging us to be obedient. God is begging us to live in fear of him with that profound respect for him, with a wholehearted love for him. Because when we pass that test, when we live with the fear of God in our lives, then he can pour out the fullness of his blessings on us. And it's not just blessing for us, it's blessings for all the nations, for all those who are around us. All we have to do is to submit ourselves to him. We have to become obedient to him. We have to say, God, I don't get what you're asking me to do. God, what you're asking me to do is honestly a test of my love for you and it's a test for whether I respect you or not. And even though the price seems too high, even though I don't understand why, God, because I know who you are and because I respect you, I'm going to be obedient to what you've called me to. And this is the last point, is that your fear of God is based on his goodness and his faithfulness. The reason that we can live with a fear of God in our lives is because we know how good he is. We know his heart. We know that he isn't going to harm us. We know that he's leading us into blessing. He's leading us into promise, into prosperity. That's where God's taking us. So we can trust him even when we don't see how it's going to work out. I love this. this Abraham's going and he's going on this journey 
and he takes his son, and he tells the servants to stay back, and he says, the boy and I, we're going to go, and we will return to you. And some people might read that and say, well, it's because he doesn't want to tell the servants, hey, I'm going to go sacrifice my son, and I'll be right back. They'd be like, you're crazy, we're going to stop you, or I'm taking off, I'm not going to serve you anymore. If that's what you do to your son, what are you going to do to me? But Abraham's being truthful. He knows that he's going to go, and he's going to sacrifice his son in obedience to what God's called him to, but that he's going to walk back with his son. It says in Hebrews that Abraham believed that God would resurrect his son Isaac because he knew the heart of God and because of that he was willing to respect God. Abraham didn't even understand how it was going to work out. He had an idea of what might happen, but that wasn't what happened. But he was able to live in a fear of God because he loved him. He knew how good God is. And it's only when you know how good God is, how faithful he is, that you will be able to fully live in a fear of God. And even in this story, this is one of my favorite stories for looking at the goodness of God. And on one hand, this looks like one of the most ruthless, like insane stories that there possibly could be. God, you're asking someone to sacrifice their child? That's not the kind of God I want to serve. But when you get to the end of the story, It shows you just how faithful God is. Just how loving, just how merciful he is. And all through this story, you see the story of Jesus. This is one of the best previews to what Jesus would do that we see in the entire Old Testament. It's it's right here. Because in Abraham and in Isaac, we see the story of God the Father and his only son. His one son, his only son, the son whom he loves the son who he sacrifices so that all the nations can be blessed. And it says that they go to the mountain of Moriah, which is where Jerusalem was. It's where the temple ended up being built, was at Moriah. It's a three days journey to get there. Three days Jesus was in the ground and then rose again. It says that he put the wood on his son's shoulders as he walked up the hill to the altar, just as the cross was put on the shoulders of Jesus to carry up. His son was bound, and the knife was raised to sacrifice. And what God wouldn't allow Abraham to do, he himself did, as he sacrificed his own son so that salvation could be provided for us. On the mountain, God provided for every one of us. Our God went to such a great length to save us, to show us his love and his mercy and his grace. And that's why I can trust him. That's why I can profoundly respect him. Because I know that the God who sacrificed his own son, that I might have life, is a God that's going to continue to bring blessing to me. And if I will just submit myself out of love and out of respect, if I will just fear God and be obedient to him, I know that he's going to pour out blessing on me and in my life and on those that are around me. And so here's a question for us this morning as we close. So what do you need to do? 
are you living in the fear of God? Are you living with that wholehearted love and a profound respect for him and submitting yourself to him? Or have you decided that I like these things about God, but the others I'm going to ignore? Because if you do that, you're one of the blind and sin is whispering to you and it's going to bring you to destruction. But if you will submit to Jesus, even in the hard areas of life, even the sacrifices that seem too much to bear, if you will do it knowing that God is going to lead you into blessing, you will see that happen. For some of you, it might be that you're in a relationship right now that you know that you shouldn't be in. Maybe you're living with someone you're not married to and you need to decide, you know what, I'm going to respect God and I'm going to get married or we're going to break up. Or maybe it's that you're dating someone that you know that you shouldn't be dating and, and God's calling you to, out of respect for him to break that off. And you're going to do that today. You might think, you just ruined my relationship. Yeah, but Jesus just saved your life. Or maybe it's in the area of you've been hoarding the resources that God's given you. You haven't been honoring in him in those. You haven't been a blessing to others in that. And God's calling you to obedience in that. Maybe it's an issue. Uh, another thing, maybe it's a greed. It's a materialism. It's a, a morality issue that's going on in your life. Uh, maybe there's something that you just haven't submitted to Jesus, but he's calling you today to do that. Maybe it's even in your marriage where you haven't been honoring and you haven't been respecting each other. And God's calling you to just submit in that area and to respect him and to trust that he's going to bring blessing to you inside of that. Maybe it's that there's something that God's calling you to do that you have, haven't been doing because you're scared. Maybe there's a trip that you're supposed to take, a business that you're supposed to start. There's someone you're supposed to share your faith with, someone you're supposed to invite to church, someone that you're supposed to have a conversation with. If you'll just listen to Jesus, if you'll just submit to him in this area, you will see blessing come to you through that. Or maybe this morning it's that you need to start with making that decision to go from someone who believes in God to someone who knows him and someone who lives with the fear of God in your life. And if that's you this morning, and it just starts with surrender. This starts with asking God to forgive you of your sins and telling him that from this day forward you're starting a new life where he's going to be the one that you submit to, that you're going to allow him to be God in your life, you're going to allow him to lead you and to direct you, and he will send the Holy Spirit into you and he'll begin to talk to you, he'll begin to transform your heart from the inside out. There will be new life that's inside of you and you will never be the same. But whatever it is that he's speaking to you, it's important that we take a moment to respond. So, Father, we come before you this morning. Would you speak to our hearts? Have we been living with a fear of you? Have we been living with a love and a respect for you? God, would you reveal to us the areas of sin that are in our life that we need to submit to you. The places in our heart where we need to let go. And if today it's that decision to follow Jesus, this morning just pray with me. Say, God, thank you for your love. 
thank you that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And Father, would you forgive me? Would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? Would you give me the ability to live a new life for you? God, I want to know you more. I want to know your power at work inside of me. I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit to overflowing. I want to be a changed life, a new creation. God, would you start that work in me that today I would never be the same again. And in every area, all of us, we submit ourselves to you, Jesus. Strengthen us, empower us to do the thing that you're calling us to do this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to continue to worship this morning. Just continue to allow God to speak to you.